Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams Tea Podcast, where you spill the jams, spill the tea, and this week we're going to be spilling the tea on one of the biggest music releases of the year. We're going to be talking about the new album from Olivia Rodrigo. We're going to be talking about Guts. Yes, we are. too. We're also going to be talking about albums from Sprain. That's the thing. We're albums from them? Multiple? <laughs> yeah, multiple. I mean, there's multiple albums worth of music on that fucking record. Before we get to our feature presentation, we are going to lead off by talking about this new album from Sprain. Uh, very sort of online, rate your music core record from famously online internet label The Flinzer been making a lot of noise in in those spaces as well and of course because we're so irrevocably tied to those online spaces it felt like well we couldn't not talk about this album because it is such a demanding album both in terms of the level of attention it demands of you but also in terms of just how kind of intense and and terrifying of a psychological experience it is and what i mean by that is that the record is very much a journey into the darkest pits of creative despair, I would say. A lot of people have been drawn to this album for its really heavy, ruthless, industrial sound. I think a lot of the fascination with this record is a natural product of the increasingly commonplace presence of talky post-punk in online music spaces as well, but combining that with a heavier sort of industrial sound and more avant-garde tendencies as well. There's hefty doses of drone music in here as well. There's spoken word. There's music concrete in certain elements as well. It really is basically in you know an online 20 year old music nerds wet dream basically it's just it's such a capital a artwork it's so carved around its concept and its concept is so meta that it's basically catnip for a particular type of music nerd and so for full context sprain are a los angeles based hardcore band they formed in 2018 and in 2020 they released their debut album as lost through collision which didn't really make very much waves it was very kind of derivative album pulling from elements of post-punk and hardcore and and that sort of dreary soaked in ambience production style however their new album the lamb is effigy has made a lot more noise for them it's 96 minutes long and you know, I was just saying before, there's a lot of ways I could go about describing this. I'm sure Jake will do a better job of me than des- of describing what it sounds like and what the experience of listening to it <laughs> like on that sonic level, because that's not really the level I want to attack it on. I'm really fascinated by what this album is trying to do conceptually, what this album is kind of trying to be about, because to a certain extent, that aspect of it, this level of self-absorbed neurosis about the creative process, about making art, and about putting your art out into the world is something that is there from the jump, but eventually comes to overtake the musical content of the album so dramatically to the point that the record ends with essentially this musically sparse 25-minute avant-garde conversation with God. Although this being an album like The Lambers Effigy, it's a little bit more complicated than that, and it works on multiple different levels than that. This is, I'm just going to say off the bat, an exhausting experience. I have listened to this album in full four times, 
And so I've, I've dedicated a lot more time to this than I otherwise would, because if I'm ultimately frank with you, I wasn't really feeling it in listen one. There's aspects of what this record does musically that are pretty cool. The first couple of tracks have this really just very dissonant, but intense and very hardcore energy to them that I really, really enjoy. And the lead vocalist's presence is undeniable and in your face and full of neurotic character in a way that I really, really appreciate. However, the record very quickly disintegrates and becomes much less satisfying on a musical level and much more, I suppose, interesting and fulfilling on a conceptual level for me, at least, even if I have some pretty strong limits to the, with the extent to which I'm able to personally engage with the concept. It's basically a record about the creative process and the feeling and experience of putting your art out into the world to essentially be embraced or ripped apart, but basically to be out of your control. And how that is a form essentially of, of self-sacrifice, of, of giving yourself up, of ultimately allowing yourself to be to surrender control completely. It's also a record of, that views the artistic process as a means of attempting to communicate with God and to discover the divine. Those are two sorts of threads, metaphorical threads, with which it looks at the artistic process or with which its perspective is kind of interested in that. W what is the, the drive to make art and what is the impact of putting art out into the world? And on a deeper level, what does that give you? There's this contrast between the idealization of the goal of, of creating art, whether it's music, whether it's a book, or whether it's a movie or whatever it is, the idealization of that process, the, the fruits of that process, the, the pain of trying to realize that process, but also the, the bountiful reward of when that river of creativity flows versus the brutal reality of where it actually can put you the vulnerability that it can impose on you and the way in which it can, if you're not careful, sort of tear at your whole identity as a person. So there's this analog with this record between attempting to express yourself or attempting to express something true from within you and put it out into the world and attempting to reach out to God and understand who you are and what your place is and what your life means, basically. And I'll, and I'll leave it there for now i've got a little bit more i'll get into but my thoughts are fairly uh concise on this jake i'm curious i know you've like me been a little bit bewildered by this album what's your kind of overall take on it what was your experience being like with this record and where do you ultimately fall i have consumed a shitload of music in my life and a lot of it is on the more self-indulgent and long side but when you pitch something to me as like oh, it's this weird, brutal, industrial, hodgepodge new thing. And it's just kind of like, here it is. And here it's it's completely inaccessible. It's like, it's going to take a minute for me to get on board with it. But upon initially listening to this, I was completely overwhelmed. And I was deeply impressed with the construction of this on a musical level. But in terms of like how the album fit together what the experience did for me i was more in awe of the experience itself and less focused on how it made me feel and i was like okay i need to you know take a crack at this a couple more times and figure out where i uh, land on it and disappointingly i kind of came back 
each time like less and less rewarded. There's a lot of ideas that are interesting. And believe me, nobody understands the creative anxieties better than fucking yours truly. So I feel like I'm in a particular place to understand where this album is coming from, let me tell you. And it's effective at channeling these moments. Uh, like on the opener, for example, Man Proposes, God Disposes. Probably the record at one of its most successful moments uh, from a writing standpoint, just because it's it's all about the vulgar expulsion of creating art and specifically creating art that's like taboo in some respect or like strange or weird or out there or whatever. And it's very matter of fact and almost self-mocking in its tone. And it's a very self-aware album. And I honestly feel like that's kind of the kernel of its undoing for me is that this is an album that's very self-aware in many respects, musically, thematically. And it ends up just being a big old nexus of Okay, like there's lots of interesting things going on here. Uh, my biggest point for comparison for like select moments of this is earlier on Daughters, specifically like the really weird industrial math core that they would dabble in on stuff like uh, the self-titled, for instance. It's never like quite as aggro or speedy as that, but it's as jagged and it has that kind of same bewildering effect on you. And it's interspersed with moments that are like these huge instrumental explosions that like occasionally I do find really awesome. Uh, Margin for Error, the first like 25 minute long track on here is really cool. The first time you hear it, it, it's, it, it sounds awesome and it has a cool effect on you when you're like just kind of basking in its awe. It's a very kind of bright droney experience unlike a lot of what you would expect from something like this after margin for error the album just kind of falls off and not because the music is any less impressive or any less good even it's just the structure of this like if i isolated each of the tracks here and told you what i think about them as individual songs i'd say they were great and then you put them into a feature length record and it's just kind of a cacophonous mess. It's a bit too self-absorbed to really feel as though I have an in. And I feel like a lot of that is my problem. That's that's totally, like, I totally accept that. This is a difficult album. And it doesn't really do itself a whole lot of favors. And I feel like it's specifically designed to not be rewarding. And that kind of in itself is the point. And that's cool but it doesn't really make me want to listen to it that much. I don't know if I agree that it's designed to not be rewarding, but I do think that the catharsis that it offers is one that's so rooted in a very painful place. I think that the emotional note that the album ends on is honestly one of the most powerful things the entire experience offers. It's utterly just spine chilling frankly the the place that this album gets to in its final 10 15 minutes but there's a lot of work to get there and i want to let me kind of take a step back the album starts out more or less in its first arc being about that active creative process and even in a song like uh margin for error the singer alex kent uh talks about looking for a spark of the divine and those references to God and references to divinity get more and more frequent as the album goes on. 
you start off in this incredibly neurotic place. And in fact, I'll go as far as to say, I think this is the most neurotic album of 2023 by some margin. This place of feeling as though creative expression is worthless, feeling as though your efforts are meaningless and amount to nothing. I mean, some of the most cynical lyricism of the year comes through in a song like Reiterations. We all take turns pretending we say anything important, learn to tell the difference between white noise and applause, a universal eye roll, and how we all tire of my masquerading as an artist. The sun cares not for art, it will rise and fall regardless. It's a very nihilistic perspective that I'm sure a lot of people who've been down that tunnel of the creative process that's just hitting a brick wall again and again we'll be able to relate to and so the the dead end of that feeling leads to the artist kind of searching towards the divine basically like looking upward for inspiration looking for a spark to come externally to kind of inspire something within or to kind of resolve this dead space that exists inside and so as the album goes on you get more and more focus on the relationship between the artist and the divine as this like divinity as this kind of source of creativity basically as the source of um inspiration and all of this ultimately culminates in the final track which is this just devastating mostly not non-musical spoken word when it's not you know howling noise um conversation or first of firstly kind of an imagined conversation with god essentially and then a, a realized conversation with god so basically um the singer imagines a conversation with god that essentially sees that being reaching out to him basically and offering him comfort and offering him understanding and then there's the actual conversation with god where he's greeted with you know illegible horrific noise basically and the out so the album ends in this place of needing to express yourself but having no real reward for that or no real motivation for that or even no real ability to do that it's a real like i have no mouth but i must scream place that the album ends in so it's got a really fascinating conceptual arc to it the way that it realizes these fraught stages through music is obviously very intensely labored and refined over a long period of time i have to imagine that this album was draining to create not least because of its subject matter but also because of on this meta level trying to match this commentary on artistic nihilism with something that is musically tangible that's like to me i can't even imagine how if someone presented that to me as a concept to realize in a, in a work of art i can't even imagine how i would approach that so it's really really fascinating really really interesting and in moments really really satisfying on that level but it is also just philosophically as well it's it's nihilism it's sense of fatalism it's sense of pessimism about art and the artistic process while i'm sure a really cathartic exp and necessary expression for the artists involved and i'm sure something that a lot of people will and have been relating to feels really 
I don't know. I can't relate to it. It makes me feel like shit, frankly. It makes me feel really bad and not in a cathartic sort of way. It just makes me feel like I don't know why I'm listening to this. I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this. It feels like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to be hypocritical here because there's a lot of music I like that is just kind of basically essentially moping about how you know shit your life is and about how nothing goes right but this feels like this really leans into that that's the thing is that like i recognize and really appreciate all of these elements of this like thoughtful construction but like the best way i can put it fundamentally is that the music i'm listening to doesn't make me feel these things like when i look into what everything is about i'm like okay cool i get it and the music does have an effect on me but it never really kind of feels like the two are married it, it, it just kind of feels like everything is so every part of it does feel kind of labored and fussy, but to the point where it feels like it's only going to affect a certain type of person. Like again, as somebody who really should relate and identify with what's going on here is I've, I am currently battling a bitch of a bout of writer's block. I also just kind of react to it like Riley and I'm just sort of like, yeah, in, in its best moments, I I can see like, oh, my struggle is reflected here, but I also am like, that's kind of all I get. And I feel like if I'm going to have to put all of myself into listening to this 90 minute long record multiple times, and I'm confronted with the disheveled reality, it's like, I, I just don't really have a place for that with me right now. I, I get it if you do, but for me, it's it's just not really... I just don't have any purpose for something like this, I guess. There's a line, right? Because when you relate to something, like because when a work of art is about a personal struggle that you relate to really deeply, and when that work of art approaches that struggle from a really pessimistic, beaten down mm -hmm. place of, you know, this is never going to fucking work. I'm broken forever. That can be really cathartic. And that can be a way of, you know, realizing and and validating a kind of internal struggle that you're having and allowing you to kind of process it but with this record it's like it's so mired in the worst and most brutal and devastating parts of that you know creative deadening that it doesn't feel cathartic it just kind of feels miserable and yeah that said, I do want to acknowledge that I think there are some genuinely musically stunning moments on this record. Um, oh, for sure. The much talked about ascendant drone piece that takes up the second half of Margin for Era is genuinely awe-inspiring. And just the fact that as well, that you can feel the crest of it. You can feel the swelling that's happening there on a musical level. Like you can feel how this is being realized in real time by the instruments. It doesn't feel like something that's static and being turned up on an amp. It actually feels mm -hmm. like these musicians are sustaining this energy. And, you know, th there's an ebb and a flow to it. And there's a rise to it that feels real and tangible. And that's, I think, the closest reference points to an artist like Swans, who's come up a lot in people's conversations of... Uh, this music, I find the connection strongest there in the sense that that is another band who try to make you feel what they want you to feel through this sustained performance, where that performative element of people in a room making the sound is part of the atmosphere and part of the feeling. It can't, it doesn't work if it doesn't feel real, if you don't he feel and hear the pe the people making it. 
So that's a really, really powerful moment. Of course, as well, just being a musical approximation of basically, you know, the divine essentially and having its own, you know, it, it genuinely does feel divine. It does feel kind of transcendent and it's mirrored in a really, you know, ugly and powerful way by God or whatever you call it, which is like, you know, margin for error is like what we imagine or what we want our divine experience to be like. And then God or whatever you call it is the reality of that divine experience when you're not able to tap into what you, that transcendence you're looking for. It's just disappointment. And there's a powerful contrast to that and the way the album's structured. But yeah, it is just exhausting and demanding and uh, it's philo- it's philosophy at certain points is it's patience trying for me personally and maybe I'll feel differently at a different point in history but I'm glad a lot of people are connecting with this it's just and and I wanted us to kind of acknowledge it because it is you know as yeah. popular as it is in the spaces we frequent but it also say most obvious reference point as well and I mean to the extent that Sprain are very clearly inspired by this artist is Glenn Branker and I would say if you oh want, yeah if you want to get the kind of musical experience that this album gives you without having to devote a feature-length film amount of time to it <laughs> and also without having to wrap your head around the vastly overwhelming neurosis of this album's perspective listen to the ascension like that is a classic Mm -hmm. of avant-garde music for great reason and you know i'm not disparaging the album by drawing that comparison i mean it's a great record to shoot for if you're trying to make this kind of music but it is ultimately an album that does exist in the shadow of that great masterpiece so yeah anyway let's move on to our main event today which is, of course, the new album from Olivia Rodrigo, Guts. We've been anticipating this album pretty heavily here. We had a segment in an episode a couple months back uh, on the rollout for this album as well, on the singles that had been released at that time, Vampire and Bad Idea, right? And I remember distinctly, we talked about how optimistic we were for this record, and also just in general, the feeling that we had about Olivia's influence in pop culture right now the place that olivia occupies how much of a breath of fresh air it is not just for the kind of pop rock revivalism that she's bringing to mainstream music with this and her last record but also just with how idiosyncratic and and laden with personality her writing is as well and guts is a fantastically fun next step for olivia in terms of doing that and delivering a bunch of her best songs yet frankly and an album that i think works even better like considerably better as a well-rounded experience compared to her debut which i thought had some strong singles but ultimately didn't really stand up beyond that guts i think has fully realized basically everything i wanted from olivia from that last record and it's such a it's both such a breath of fresh air, but also so satisfying and immediate on basically every level that I have been listening to this record almost every day since it came out. What are your guys' thoughts overall on, on what Olivia's brought to the table here and how she's has or has not, I guess, depending on how you fall, realized the potential that she showed with those uh, early singles from her last record? The debut album was not a particularly memorable experience i would say i was largely optimistic about rodrigo as an artist 
but you know it's definitely a debut album from a then 18 year old it was that all the way through and it had its appeals in that sense and it had its downfalls in that sense and in terms of like a sophomore effort this is like the platonic ideal of it in the sense that like I like my least favorite songs on this album about as much as I like my favorite songs on the last album. <laughs> um, yeah, I would agree. She, she's found uh, more of her own voice and writing style that's particular to her uh, in the sense that like, you know, she's 20 something years old and is cribbing from the artists that she loves, which frankly, we need far, far more of in popular music. This idea that an artist has to like give credits to whoever for being vaguely inspired, not to rehash all of this again, but like the I, it's a sickening idea to me. I would say that Olivia's both beholden to her influences and leaning into them very strongly, like especially on a song like All American Bitch, right? But she's also like doing it in her own way. Where I think yes. the reason why we don't get hung up on this, uh, like on the aspect of, you know, well, Olivia's inspired by X, Y, and Z is because it doesn't feel like a cheap imitation. It feels like, you know, a current, it feels like a new generation, basically, essentially looking back at a template that they were inspired by and basically saying, how can I make this fit the way that my life is like right now? Like, how can I adapt this into the world that I live in and to the experience that I'm having as an individual person? And um, I think that's where Olivia really separates herself. It's just the fact that when Olivia sings and when you listen to Olivia Rodrigo's song, you feel like you are listening to Olivia Rodrigo, like write and sing about her life. Teenagers don't need to know about these reference points. Teenagers don't need to know who the fuck April Levine is. And they, and this, uh, and Olivia Rodrigo is, is having all the success and it's not relying on the nostalgia factor. Like her success is not coming off of nostalgia buying or nostalgia streaming. It's coming from a new generation of people who probably largely don't really know much or appreciate those reference points, not to be condescending, but I think it's just true with a lot of people who are 15 or 16 years old. Oh, right no. now. And yeah. it's like, why would they? And they're buying into Olivia and they're resonating with Olivia because of the olivia's music not because they it reminds like not because like us it reminds them of of something you know that we grew up on or whatever um, 15 year olds buying this on vinyl aren't going to be like the chord progression in this song is too similar to all we know is falling by paramore like <laughs> that shit's not going to happen <laughs> this album to me blends a lot of things that are very quintessentially of the 2000s and in a way that i find appealing because like Avril Lavigne, for again, for a comparison point, clearly an inspiration on uh, Olivia, if not directly, then at least spiritually, right? But like, here's the thing about that, is that when people think fondly about the music of Avril Lavigne, like, you know, what, they're going to talk about Skater Boy, they're going to talk about like singles and stuff. No, but like, there's not a lot of people that are going to come at you and remember the Avril Lavigne deep cuts. Uh, just not the kind of artist that she was. And that's kind of not because like she was within a business model that just didn't sustain artists on that. It was just not what they did. Like the thing is with Olivia though, is that artists like her are embracing all of the things that make those singles memorable 
And they take that philosophy and make that the construction of every single part of their album. There's nothing here that I really think constitutes as filler or like relatively anyway. It's like everything on here feels essential. And that's not just because the album is tightly built together, which it is very much like Sour. But the thing is, is that with the way that this is built, it's concentrated to have as much personality in each part of it as possible. I think that as the person who was like, I guess I'm technically the only person who actually liked Sour, that album's biggest problem is that it's too ballad heavy. Uh, that's The thing is, though, is that I like those ballads. I think they're well written. I think they're well put together. And a lot of it is because I think Olivia, her team, whatever, they have an amazing grip on basic song construction. Not because it's tightly put together. I would actually argue that Olivia's instincts are at their most interesting when they're at their most messy. Because on here, and on Sour for that matter, a lot of these songs, structurally speaking, they're kind of all over the place. Like, they kind of aren't beholden to anything. If they repeat or cycle through ideas, they are iterated with substantial differences that make them feel really, really dynamic. I think there's no better example of that than Vampire, which was the lead single she released, right? Presenting itself initially as this kind of, you know, mopey ballad, but then by the time you, the songs ended, it's kind of ramped up into this it's sort got of a like, dance beat, <laughs> this dance beat inflected thing that's got like you know several different eras of pop rock inspiration kind of layered into it. But Olivia's you know very idiosyncratic and incredibly emotive performance, like sitting right at the heart of it. Um, just the, the little details you come to really appreciate with these songs, just little things that she adds, that she does, that she chooses, instincts that she has, both in terms of how she puts the songs together but also in terms of her writing that makes such a difference right that that mean that while there's nothing you know it doesn't have to be anything super complicated or even all that subversive about the way these songs are put together but olivia has the sensibility to just be able to add these twists and turns and little details to them that make it feel like hers yeah and that's the thing is that you have a lead song like Vampire or like, I mean, which is, again, it's the driver's license of this, but it's like a deliberately kind of challenging what you know about what, an, you know, the Olivia Rodrigo lead single will even be. And that's where the kind of magic of Guts lies is and how it feels like its own thing and kind of a counter to what came before it as like a big like, hey, this is me growing. This is me doing something different. And a lot of that identity to me is wrapped up in this concept that I've been slowly kind of acclimating myself to even more and more. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade here. Olivia Rodrigo is an emotional disaster. Every single song on here, she is reveling in how much of a messy bitch she is. And frankly, there is few people who are as effectively channeling that into making great music as people like her. And that's what great pop stars like this do in this day and age, is that they harness all of the messy, ugly shit about themselves, put it to the forefront and say, this is all the fucked up shit with me sing along and you know what that creates a fantastic fucking experience and when you 
combine it with those really loud compressed guitars it's put together in a way that it like it's loud it's in your face it hits with impact but it doesn't like offset you it flows through the song in a way that feels like natural and that's like the instrumental identity of this it's like pianos guitars drums everything on here is designed to be its own kind of hook and when you get to the really anthemic shit when you get to stuff on here like get him back and love is embarrassing which are two of the most planet-wrecking hooks of the year. And they're not the only songs on here that are like that. I mean, Bad Idea Right was a song we already talked about in our Now segment when we sort of talked about the rollout to this. And Bad Idea Right is like peppering almost like the little anti-hooks to like the fuck it, it's fine. I love that shit. That level of detail is on like every single song here it's got that same appeal and that same immediacy that like an early like a riot era paramore album or song has and i just i I eat that shit up man what i appreciate is that while the album cycles through a fairly standard banger ballad dichotomy fairly consistently (laughs) No two songs in either of those categories really sound the same. And they channel no. different styles. Like, it just to something as small as the guitar sound as well. Like, All American Bitch, for instance, that's the most sort of Avril Lavigne style song on the record. But then Bad Idea Right comes in, and, and the fucking guitars, the guitar and bass combo sounds like the fucking strokes on this song. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't dum, think dum, of that dum, when dum, we dum, talked dum, about dum, it dum, earlier dum. this year. And then, um, you know, Vampire has this kind of... That's a meatloaf song. Yeah, basically. It's got Jim Steinman written all over it. Yeah. Vampire was a great lead uh, single because it's like one of the few times where the record really bridges those styles really, really effectively. And it makes you, it just gives you an immediate sense of what the whole record's going to be like while sounding quite mm. different to every other song. Ballad of a Homeschooled Girl as well as Absolute Fucking Rager yeah. too. I love the energy on this song. I love the the refrain of social suicide. I love the way that she leans into that and gets basically more sort of bedraggled as the song goes on. It's very endearing as well. And just, again, she has little things that she does with her writing and little tiny tweaks in the way that she approach, approaches things that I really, really love. Like the way that the song ends with the outro where she kind of can't, doesn't isn't able to think of a third line and just kind of basically spews word vomit. That works and it's it's cute, but it also works because it's totally in concert with the theme of the rest of the song, basically being so embarrassed and being so kind of out of sorts and unable to kind of function uh, in a normal way that you basically fall apart. I, I love a the perfect way structure for making a song about how feeling, how being 19 is to be a fucking disaster. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is that Morgan said that Sarah is like an album that's quintessentially, you know, written by an 18 year old and about being 18. And without wanting to sound glib or anything, Guts is just an album written by a 19 year old about being 19. I mean, and there is an important yes. distinction there. Those are two quite different experiences. You're you're still a teenager, but you're also by virtue of the abstract decision to imbue that particular age jump with adulthood, suddenly you're, you know, given all these additional expectations and responsibilities and you suddenly you know very arbitrarily are made to view view your life in a very different light even though you are still young you are still developing you are still basically the same person you were when you're 18 but suddenly there's this additional level of pressure 
And I mean, to Olivia's credit, the album isn't so much about growing up and changing as it is about how those neuroses and those, you know, difficulties that she experienced that she's had all her time being a teenager are, if anything, only intensifying as she gets older. They're not mellowing out. And part of it as well, part of the subtext is her fame as well her fame in concert with the fact that she's still a developing immature teenage person with all of these very real relatable teenage problems but also these not relatable famous teenage problems you know circling around her all of that is subtext that then becomes text in the final song teenage dream which is just a stunning into the record that really brings everything to a head but just to go back to what I was talking about, about how each different iteration of the type of song on this album offers something new. I mean, you have Pretty Isn't Pretty, which is like taking these Cure-esque guitars oh, to this like... Right again, off of Wish. I love it so much. Again, it's a song that is, it's a ballad, but it's also kind of one of the most, you know, sing your heart out songs on the record as well. It has that kind of rhythmic energy to it at the basis that comes from that cure reference point that makes it feel like doesn't feel like a ballad in the same way as the other songs on this record you have a song like lacy which is has some of my favorite writing on the whole record and yeah it feels almost obvious to say this screams lord the whole time that <laughs> song is on <laughs> yeah just like she even sounds like lord in the way that she sings and you know the the theme of the song as well of I think this is actually one of the most poignant songs in the entire record as well. This idea of the very real teenage feeling of wanting to escape yourself and live what you perceive to be a better life or have someone else's life that you perceive to be happier or more idealized. And the way that the song very honestly interrogates that feeling and puts you in the space of how desperate and painful and embarrassing that feeling can be. And then Olivia kind of being bold enough to take that to a place where ultimately she starts resenting that person, having all of this ugly negative emotion towards that person. I love that she wrote the song in that way. It's so honest and it's so refreshingly frank about what it is like to, you know, be envious and to want and to desire that age and how it can turn you into the worst version of yourself as well. And of course, there's the level of, um, you know, that a lot of Olivia's fans are reading it through that it's like a, it's a song about a, um, a same-sex affection as well, which is certainly a valid lens you can read it through too. With, with a song like that, I just feel like it's well-written enough to have multiple different perspectives walking away from it. Like that's, but I mean, it's also just the very relatable, you know, messy teenage feeling of being like, do I idolize this person or do I love them? I don't know because of the way things are. And that kind of like emotional multifacetedness is just sort of across the whole album. I mean, like there are very few albums that I've listened to in the last three years, in fact, that so perfectly capture the spiteful, childish, angry rage that you feel when you get cheated on. Like listening to this album is deeply cathartic in that respect. So I, I have to at least applaud it on that level, but it's also a more mature self-examination of why that's not necessarily a super healthy outlook to have like as a human being. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to Lacey as well, it's not just like the blurred line between, you know, coveting the perfect life that someone has and being, you know, physically attracted to them. It's the 
underlying intensity of the way that women are socialized to view and treat each other as well you know that sense of of idolization that sense of of this forced homogenization as well that women should all be a very particular type of of person and look a particular way and act a particular way and the weird and you know the obvious identity crisis that that kind of harmful mindset in, instills in in so many women you know i'm not most i'm not you know the most qualified to talk about it but there's such a a level of depth to the way that the song captures you know, not just something as simple as, you know, the blurred line between, you know, envy and attraction, but also just this level with which all women exist in relation to each other in a, you know, patriarchal society. It's just a song that the more I think about it, the more I listen to it, the more I read into it, the more I I appreciate, you know, the this level of depth that comes obviously from I don't want to. I don't want to say lived experience in the sense that you know Olivia's experienced what happens in the song specifically, because that would be a level of projection that I don't think anyone should do. Uh, artists are artists; they write songs about what they want to write songs about. It's not necessarily mean it's about their specific life experiences, but it feels very emotionally honest uh, in a way that adds to its impact. And this is also true of a song like "Logical" as well, which I think is one of the most powerful ballads on the whole yes. album. Too. most I mean, underrated song on there it's a it's a different sort of subject matter this is more about the pain of an unhealthy relationship and of lingering attachment and of how difficult to the extent of feeling impossible it is to separate yourself from feelings that have led you to be hurt olivia writes and structures the song so that you know it's full of contradictions essentially and that reflects the way that the experience of that relationship, both within it and then in the aftermath of it, is full of contradictions, is itself a contradiction, right? Why do I love you when you hurt me, right? The fundamental contradiction at the heart of all of this. And so she just gets, she ha- finds a way to make you feel that by lay- layering the song with so many different levels of contradiction. That level of contradiction that exists all through a song like Logical also extends into other ballads like The Grudge as well, which has this really poignant moment at the end of it as well, where, you know, Olivia talks about the strength it takes to forgive, but not quite being there yet and legitimately and literally just ends the line halfway through that expression, you know, to like, you know, it's a very small thing, but just like, you know, I'm, I'm literally not there yet in the sense that I literally can't finish the line. That sort of stuff is really, really great. I very much appreciate how the cringeness of so much of this album is like, it's so funny to me that we even have to clarify that. Oh, I mean, I guess we don't have to, but the fact that we do clarify it as cringe when it is just also very standard pop songwriting in so many ways, it's just an interesting reflection of how averse everyone who is on the internet has like reflexively become to like genuine emotiveness uh there's like a complete aversion by reflex to someone genuinely sharing their feelings through something without like five layers of detached irony Mm. and that's what i value so much about this album as a statement on its own and particularly in the landscape of 
pop music because I am so tired of detached irony. You know, the world is falling apart and I understand why we all feel this way and why we have feel like we need 15 layers of societal satire approach to well everything. And the funny but thing like, about the, the album is, is that the first song is like, 100 percent irony like it's it's olivia taking that irony apart basically saying you know yeah all of these yeah. things that i am are cringe to you basically all these things i am are things that you know i'm mocked for basically and she presents all of them and she says yeah i'm these things yeah i'm these things yeah i'm these stereotypes i'm these exaggerations and basically just kind of kicks your face in with them and then having done that allows for the rest of the record to happen where she is you know detached from that irony and just very straightforwardly honest about everything that's why i love that opening track is because it's like she knows that she has to kind of confront that the way that she's viewed and the way that, that the kind of star that she is is viewed and the kind of st weird misogynistic standards she's held to for expressing herself so she does that she makes it all look ridiculous and then she leaves it all behind her and that's what's so great about her is that she's a lot of people would get so wrapped up in the trappings of that irony that they would kind of be consumed by it but olivia is able to make you know getting past that look easy it's at once leaving it behind, but also embracing it as like the logical next step for her as an artist. It's like her saying like, yes, I understand why you have responded in this way. I just think you're weak and can't face life without five layers of snarkiness and, you know, the anonymity of the internet. So I'm going to proceed to sort of lay out every facet of how I feel at this stage in my life and you can take that or leave that or just post post about it on twitter about how it's not your your fave avril lavigne song or whatever I, in that respect i almost feel like that is something that's basically adding to the groundswell of her success is because when, at the end of the day we still do operate by the mantra of all exposure is good exposure. So when something goes viral for somebody, even if somebody's mocking it, it's still out there now. And for somebody who's like that, to be so blanketly honest, it's like without that irony, it doesn't really matter because once you get to that point, you're going to reach all of the people who are going to relate with you. And there's always going to be people who are going to relate to shit like this because it's like, yeah, she is like, there is stuff on here that's directly informed by her fame. But I feel like that there's a distinct aspect to her identity as a pop star. That's very much like a rejection of the mantle. That's very much like, it's next to her, but it's not her. Like it, it's it's it exists on the periphery. It exists, mm -hmm. but it's not something that is subsuming her. It's like I am a teenage girl. I do happen to be famous. I know that sounds kind of basic, but at the same time, it's like I am coming at this from the level of I still have all of these same problems that these other people do still have. We are getting to the heart of what this record is about. If I had to put it in a single phrase. The record is about being held to an impossible standard in some form mm -hmm. or another. Every single song on this album is about being held to an impossible standard in some context in your life. It's about being expected to be this way and that way when those things are in complete 
opposition to each other. It's about being expected to reconcile things that are impossible to reconcile. It's about being expected to be, to be perfect and uncomplicated and unproblematic and have everything sorted, basically. And it comes that that extent to which the expectations that Olivia faces are rooted in contradiction at the most basic level. You get that from the very first line of the album. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as stiff as a boy, right? And the whole album from there is a series of hypocrisies of standards that are impossible to meet of ways in which she's viewed, right? And of internal hypocrisies as well that we all experience and that we all are vulnerable to, particularly when we're young as well. Like Bad Idea, right? is a song about, you know, how we know we shouldn't be doing something. We know we shouldn't be, you know, going to sleep with this person, but we're doing it anyway. You know, we, we are torn in these two different directions and we choose the thing that we shouldn't do, but we do that knowingly because life is fucking complicated like that. And because being held to a standard of perfection is ridiculous. Um, I want to say on the note of Bad Idea, right, which has kind of quickly become one of my favorite songs of the year in general, I really appreciate the writing style of this song because it's something so small, it's something so simple, but a lesser writer wouldn't have really thought about it. But it's the way in which Olivia switches between first and second person right? Between perspectives in terms of whether she's talking to this person she shouldn't see and whether she's talking to her friends about this person she shouldn't see. And the way that you go from that seeing you tonight, it's a bad idea, right? To yes, I know that he's my ex. The way you switch from she's talking to the ex to she's talking about the ex or someone else really gives you a sense of her being like with her friends, you know, getting these texts and being pulled in this direction, right? It puts you in the scene. It puts you in the place. And in switching perspective like that, again, it underlines this this sense of being pulled in two different directions, basically being told you shouldn't do this and wanting to do this. You know, now the whole album explores that feeling. The whole album explores that impossibility, right? Ballad of a homeschool girl, right? Having all of these standards, having all of these, you know, social codes that you're expected to meet, that you want to meet, but that you just can't get. You just can't hit that level. You can't, you can't make that work. You're just not that, you're not able to do that. You're not that perfect. Um, and that, in a lot of ways, the dissonance that comes from those contradictions comes to a head in what I think is the most emotionally powerful song on the album, Pretty Isn't Pretty, right? Which is where, you know, we've had all these different contradictions and all these different impossible standards within relationships and within, you know, uh, identity and all these sorts of things. And here it gets to, you know, one of the most real, relatable and, you know, even dangerous aspects of uh, expectation that's put on women in particular as well you know the expectation of of physical beauty the expectation of of uh an aesthetic standard basically and it's just a song about how painful that is it's just a song about how that physically tears you apart and the way that the album builds to that and the way that you have that as the most painful expression of this core frustration at the heart of that whole album, then unraveling into Teenage Dream where it's just like, you know, I I don't know what to do. I can't meet these expectations. I, I can't be the person you want me to be. It really, yeah, it's a really emotional album. And so much of that impact comes from the way that Olivia captures these places in her life where she's torn and how they cumulatively add up to make her life 
painful and, and, and difficult and hard. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why this is not just a big step up for Olivia and a good pop record, but actually, I think, one of the great albums of 2023. It just has such a complete arc within it of one person's emotional struggle basically you know and all the different ways in their life that that manifests i for one think it's cool that girls have their own pinkerton now i i'm 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 being very intentionally glib but i mean like at the same time it's the same it's the same thing Dude, that is the one thing in my notes that I haven't mentioned is the pink. <laughs> and I want to like be clear about what I mean by that, because there's ways in which, you know, I don't want to say it's a one to one sort of thing, but, you know, down to the point where there's uh, both records have pretty prominent, uh, have a pretty prominent song about the frustration of pursuing someone who's not sexually interested in your gender. <laughs> Not that that's the big comparison point, but it's one of many. You know, Pinkerton, of course, they're they're both sophomore records and they're both records that are in large part a reaction not only to the first record and its success, but also to the added pressure and expectations, as I've been talking about, that are put upon the artist for that record. And the desire to kind of respond to all that added pressure by just saying, fuck you. I'm going to be imperfect. I'm going to be ugly. I'm going to be all these things that you might not like. And that's something I appreciate from Olivia is that she's unafraid to, you know, say or write lyrics that people might question and that it might, might cause her to be imperfect in some way through the lens of the landscape of that through which, you know, female pop stars are viewed nowadays. I think it's a floodgate that to some extent Billie Eilish has opened as well, but Olivia is taking it further than Billie, I think. And I mean, like, what is Pinkerton if not an album that is broadly about not being able to live up to an achieved or idealized idea of traditional masculinity? That's That whole album is Rivers Cuomo living in the shadow of the fact that he is not this thing that he so clearly has been told and society has reinforced and says, you should be this, and instead he is a pathetic loser. This is the exact same thing except with femininity instead. So, I mean, again, the, the parallels, I feel like, are a little bit stronger than uh, a a base read of my uh, admittedly kind of glib observation might initially lead you to believe, but yeah. still. I'm sure 25-year-old Rivers Cuomo or even current Rivers Cuomo would f- deeply connect with Ballad of a Homeschooled Girl. <laughs> <laughs> no one has ever, yeah. ever. It is not possible to exude more homeschooled energy than Rivers Cuomo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, that's made me think about how with all of these, not to kind of lump them together, but with all of these sort of major solo young female artists who've kind of stepped out in the last 10 years, like Lord, Billie Eilish, uh, Mm. and now Olivia Rodrigo. I'm sure there's others as well. Like in all cases, I respond to their sophomore records that are, you know, the responding to fame albums a lot more than their debuts even though i like all of their debuts mm-hmm. like with billy i was i was much more in the camp for happier than ever because i loved how complicated and emotionally messy that album was with lord you know melodrama i mean everyone liked melodrama more than pure heroine but like that's the same kind of thing as well and now same with, dichotomy and now with olivia you know even though i would say that the change the evolution is much 
more minuscule with Olivia than with those other two artists between records. It's still a case of having something to react to in terms of the way that you are, in terms of your public perception, in terms of your status, that adds this additional layer of depth and complexity that I think a lot of great writing comes out of. So yeah, I'm going to call this the Pinkerton complex. The only one of those I can think of that I love, I guess besides Pinkerton, is uh, Green Day's Insomniac, which greatly benefited from, in fact, being their fourth album. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, but you're right still. I think you're allowed to have a debut album that is not your first album. If anyone has proved that, John Stevens has proved that. (laughs) (laughs) There are plenty of people that have. I mean, look at Kim Petras. She just released her third debut album. (laughs) Oh, good for her. Stick around for us to not review that. I think she should keep releasing debut albums until she gets it right. You know what? I I, I fully support that for every artist and we that should I fucking just hate. Continually pretend <laughs> yeah. that it is the first album. Obviously, the title of the album "Guts" like works on multiple levels and kind of feeds into the like opposing meanings or contradictions yes. thing. Like you know, there's spilling your guts, being honest, and also having guts kind of. St- toughening yourself um but i also choose to believe that there's a very real possibility that olivia is also just a really big berserk fan i will choose to believe that's the case until otherwise confirmed frankly maybe she sees herself as guts i I don't i'm acting like i know what it is i just know the soundtrack so true imagining olivia rodrigo like mournfully staring out at a sunset while guts is themed by susamu here so this is maybe the funniest thing i've thought of all year she may not know berserk but there is no way that that song doesn't resonate because like have you heard it yeah you hear that shit you feel it it's social suicide except you really do kill yourself (laughs) socially today old friend woman literally too angry to die let us know what you think of either of the albums we've discussed today sprains the lamb as effigy or olivia rodrigo's guts have you been enjoying these records what are your thoughts what are your interpretations do you agree do you disagree let us know how you feel in the comments below we'd love to continue the conversation there if you want to go above and beyond and support us directly for just one dollar a month you can hit the join button on our channel page become a member of the jams and tea family plus get yourself entitled to certain perks such as your name and the title call of every video on this channel plus if you want to recommend us a record to talk about one of our now episodes your recommendation will go to the top of the pile until next time though folks rock over london rock on chicago maybe she's born with it maybe it's maybelline